Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 G's, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing. And it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at cigarpage.com slash 60 G's baby. That's cigarpage.com 60 GS baby. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivid section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. What was supposed to be a UFC Shanghai card before Peter Yan got injured and the UFC had to find a replacement headliner in Chris Gutierrez, Mm. which um, I don't know why that necessitated moving this out of Shanghai to the Apex because Song Yudong is certainly, you know, I don't know, we're, we're... Chinese UFC fans being like, oh, sure, Song Yudong is still on the card, but Peter Yan isn't, so I'm not going to go. Yeah, good Maybe. question. Yeah. I'll watch Peter Yan, but this, like, Mexican-American guy? Absolutely not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the, if you're putting the card on in China and you wanted to have a Chinese star headlining yeah. the card, you still have that. You got him. Yeah, and that uh, that actually makes sense. I did not know that, but uh, I was going to say this is a surprisingly okay lineup for an Apex card. Yeah, they, they tried a little because they thought they were going to put it on in front of fans. That explains everything, really. Yep. Because I did not look at this and just feel a crushing weight of misery on my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment I looked at the lineup. So, yep, makes sense. This was meant to be a road card. Yep. Uh, and that said, Song Yudong versus Chris Gutierrez, it's still an interesting fight. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Gutierrez is a... He's a puzzle. And as with all puzzles there's always a little hesitancy in being a hundred percent certain that an opponent can solve it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Alexia Linek at heavyweight. You you're looking at him in a, in a matchup, you know, against like Derek Lewis or something. And you're like, okay, Derek Lewis should win this fight, but 
this is a puzzle, and I don't necessarily, I don't have a complete faith that Derek Lewis has all the tools to solve that puzzle. Mm-hmm. This is bantamweight, so the, the the fighters are infinitely more skilled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's yeah, still, I, I think um, if you were to look at this like on paper as like a, a purely a stylistic matchup. There's actually quite a lot to recommend Chris Gutierrez here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll, I'll I'll name some of the uh, some of the factors that that jump to my mind since we're we're just, we're just getting right into it. Um, Chris Gutierrez, very technical fighter. Yeah. Uh, excellent evasive footwork. Excellent footwork in general, really. Getting a um, lot better at not being just a neutralizer anymore. I would yeah. say. Yeah, he is. But uh, as a neutralizer, um, one thing that stands out to me is the fact that Song Yudong doesn't really know how to cut off the cage. Yeah, he's he not amazing at it. Tends to, I mean, he likes to pressure, but he yep. tends to follow people around. And uh, Gutierrez has definitely beaten some opponents who are footwork wise i would say better more consistent pressure fighters than song yudong Mm -hmm. um so his his style seems sort of up to uh up to par for song yudong's style there's also the fact that i don't think song yudong checks leg kicks he eats them really really well yep yep but yeah, he's not the world's greatest checker because he eats them really well. It's one of those you do you like I say there. This is a puzzle here where you're just not necessarily. It's like okay, do you actually have the tools for this? Because it's yeah. hard not to think of Jonathan Martinez against Adrian Yanez, right? And a lot of people were picking Yanez in that, and it's like okay, but does Yanez actually know how to? Does he know what kind of low kicking game he's in store to face? And he did. Yeah. He had no I idea. I don't think Gutierrez has uh, Martinez's particular ability to cripple an opponent with two shots, mm-hmm. which is basically what Martinez did to Yanez. And, you know, that guy is a hard kicker. Yeah. Uh, but Gutierrez is a very subtle and flexible kicker and certainly not the kind of guy that you would just want to willingly eat low kicks from. He's TKO'd more than one opponent with leg kicks alone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's another thing, I think, to recommend uh, Gutierrez. But uh, you call this matchup a puzzle. And I agree. And I would like to make the specific analogy to the puzzle of the Gordian knot. <laughs> And what happens when a strapping, muscular, let's just say it, athletic young Alexander the Great comes along and is asked to untie this puzzle? He says no, and he just smashes it with his sword <laughs> because he's allowed to cheat. Yeah, That is sort of my feeling about this matchup. That is a style matchup. I don't think it's a bad fight for Chris Gutierrez. Five rounds to work, great attractive weapons, excellent footwork. Yep, really consistent. Super consistent, but not on a par with Song Yadong physically. Yeah. And perhaps not prepared to deal with somebody who, as you pointed out, 
might just eat a low kick and just punish you really hard for daring to kick him and much faster than you're prepared to deal with. Somebody who basically just breaks a ton of the rules that Chris Gutierrez has sort of mastered and gotten so good at neutralizing and countering and working around just smashes right through the way that uh, Chris Gutierrez's style supposes a fight is supposed to work. Well, and the thing is, is that we we really literally just saw that recently. Yeah. In fact, we've seen three versions of this fight. Uh, out three. Let me see. We've this. I was actually this is the third. We've seen. Eh, no, okay. We we've seen three, maybe maybe even four versions of this fight lately. You counting, you're counting the. Okay, yeah. Go on. Tell me. Tell me what they are. I mean, Dana, Edgar, Munoz, and Haile, they've all had a pretty, like, I'm going to walk forward and punch you mm-hmm. uh, and try not to care too much about your low-kicking game style of fighting. And obviously the success variation in there is wildly different. Yep. Uh, you know, for... Out for Bacharil Dana, he had a lot of success early and then got backfisted. But he had a ton of success early in that fight, just walking yep. Gutierrez down. Dropped Gutierrez. Yep. For Edgar, he had no success at all because yeah, he, he was, was on the skeleton. Yeah, he's on the, the end of a long career and Gutierrez. Like I say, he's not the, just the neutralizer he used to be. He is much more yep. a fighter who, if you are going to give him opportunities, he's going to take, he's going to find a way to hurt you and punish yep. you with that. But Edgar had gotten smoked in three yeah. of the four fights prior to that. Yeah, not a shock. And then you get the Pedro Munoz fight, and that's the worst look for Gutierrez here. Yeah. Especially then, I think, coupled with the Alateng Haile fight after. Because Pedro Munoz, he is also very much a non-cage cutting, walk you down. He's better. He's better at it and was in particular in that fight than Song Yudong usually is. I think. Yeah. I mean, that was I. I. I will go down perhaps as like the last really great showing of Pedro Munoz's career because he was super super consistent on that night. But he also, um, uh, after going out and punishing Gutierrez immediately mm-hmm. then just kind of relaxed his foot off the gas and mm-hmm. let the fight be a very neutral space sim- low simmer which he continued to win but um, it wasn't it also he didn't maintain the kind of threat he started with in a way that Song Yudong likely will. Yep. And like I say, then you chase that with the Alateng Haile fight, which on the one hand, it's a great reminder that with somebody a little less choosy and a little less uh, technically adept than Munoz, trying to do a lot of the same stuff, Gutierrez could just slide away consistently the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of highlighted to me, too, the 
very particular sort of niche danger that Gutierrez presents, which is, you know, if you're if you're a pretty low level fighter, then Gutierrez can be a very dangerous striker. Absolutely, yeah. And if you are a pretty durable, um, reasonably athletic talent, then Gutierrez just kind of gets stuck in the point scoring mode. Yes. And I think that like we just saw in the Pedro Munoz fight, there's a level where he just falls behind on points and he's not going to do enough damage with his offense to catch up. And that feels a lot like the Song Yadong fight to me. Yeah. If you just, if you just for, for one reason or another, don't really have to respect Gutierrez's threats, then you can kind of force him back into more of a neutralizing role. Yeah. That was the really worrying thing about the Munoz fight is just how sort of reticent Gutierrez was that even though Munoz um, kind of relieved that in really intense early pressure with which he dropped Gutierrez early in the fight, Gutierrez was not able to pull the trigger nearly as much as he needed to, to, to win any of the rounds. Yeah. It was just, he got forced back into like passivity and uh, yeah, th- these are all uh, telling comparisons on Gutierrez's record. There is one telling comparison on Song Yadong's record. Uh-huh. Julio Arce. Yeah. yeah. You know who's a good, flexible, technical back foot kickboxer? Who's like just really good. You know, every time you watch, yeah. like, man, this guy's sharp and he can do a, a dozen different game plans, like super coachable. Yep. This guy should be a a world beater. Frankly, if fighting is fair, you know, and it's based on good technique and hard training and a a keen understanding of how a fight works, Willie Arce is championship material. He goes in there and has one close round with Song Yadong and then just gets nuked. Yeah. Because Song Yadong is cheating. Yep. He's too athletic. And he's getting really good at making particular reads. Like that was something I noticed in that Corey Sandhagen fight. I know it, it ended up turning into uh, you know a bit of a a route for Sandhagen by the end of the doctor stoppage. But early on in that fight, there were a couple moments where like Sandhagen engaged in the pocket and uh, Song slipped and countered. Yeah, and landed with real big power on Sandhagen. And where it was just like, he's just, you know, he, he's making, he's being a lot more clever with his punching yeah, against better opponents. And he's just gained um, high level experience in, in long fights too. Like, yeah, honestly, um, if you had only seen the, uh, the Kyler Phillips fight, I mean, and there, there is somebody who is definitely on an like, athletic par. Mm-hmm. with Song Yadong, who was also playing something like Gutierrez's game. Uh, it worked that time, but then again, Ricky Simone kind of tried to do that game. Guy's gotten yeah. way better at striking. He's a phenomenal athlete and a better wrestler than Kyler Phillips. It didn't work out for him. Yeah. So 
Songadong has definitely improved, I think, in just remaining a threat. Yeah. For the duration of a fight. And uh, so, yeah, that's my gut pick for this one. I, I took one look at it and I was like, nope. Yeah. Songadong doesn't play by the same rules. He's 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 not the same species of fighter as Chris Gutierrez. He's too potent. Uh, there's just too much time for just something to happen. And I don't trust Chris Gutierrez to, I mean, I trust him to have his attritive weapons and everything, but I don't trust him to build on Song Yudong, yeah. which you need to do. I mean, Gutierrez just, I think at this point he feels very much like, and this is a credit to him and his, his talent, because I don't know that this is somebody I would have picked out for that role when he got to the UFC. Uh-huh. He's basically at this point he's the he's the gatekeeper to the top fifteen at Bantamweight. Yeah, you could even say he's the gatekeeper to the top ten. Yeah, where he has a clear, patient, well put together, technical game that will break you down if you are not athletic enough, mm-hmm. and if you aren't don't have enough tools to compete. Yep. And, you know, he's, thus he slams the door on somebody like Alatang Haile, who is a very decent athlete mm-hmm. with a fairly shallow game. Yeah. And Song Yudong is not that. Song Yudong is, at this point, very clearly a top 10 talent. Yep. He is an elite athlete with a game that has grown a lot of nuance over the the past few years. And... Yeah, maybe he's not a title contender right now because he couldn't beat Corey Sandhagen. Mm-hmm. But he's not way, way off, you know? He, he's competing against those people. He, he gave Corey Sandhagen a really tough fight. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that is the thing. Is like because Song Yudong is the kind of athlete he is, literally nobody, even the few people who beat him, get an easy fight. Impossible. Yeah. yeah. It is going to be difficult all the way. Uh, and he might finish you at any point. So stylistically, I could uh, I could uh, talk myself into picking Chris Gutierrez very easily. I am resisting that natural impulse. Yeah. And saying, no, I'm going to take the guy who's souped up. <laughs> So, Song Yudong, possibly, possibly in the first two or three rounds. I'm I'm taking him by finish, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be in his best interest to yeah. find that moment that uh, Pedro Munoz had and just keep following up on it. Yep, that moment that Munoz had, that Bat Jarrell had. Yeah. Uh, there's been a couple others too. I can't recall uh, Gutierrez's fight with Honey Barcelos, but I think he might have got hurt early in that one too. Let's see, Gutierrez. Uh, he wasn't credited. Barcelos wasn't credited with a knockdown, but uh Barcelos definitely went after him in the way in a way that Song Yudong could. Yeah. Uh, Song Yudong opened at minus three thirty two. Is currently down at minus three eighty two. 
Gutierrez opened at plus 279. It's currently at plus 314. All right. That brings us to our co-main event. Anthony Smith, Khalil Roundtree Jr. Not the main event. Or, no, you said co-main. I'm just yeah. really emphasizing that it's an Anthony Smith fight and how lucky and we are that it is event. not yeah. the main event. I, I actually, yeah, I, I admit I immediately have a much kinder view of, of Anthony Smith when he's not being sold <laughs> to me as a headlining talent. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I see his name. I'm like, oh, okay. This adds something to the card. Yeah. Because when he's the main event, it really feels like the opposite. This is yes. a subtractive presence. Yeah. Kevin Holly Holm was the main event. Yep. And this is a little harder for me to call than I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Because Khalil Roundtree has definitely upped his violence quotient lately. Mm-hmm. He's always been a violent fighter. But I think he's finally getting calm and comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, like a fight like that split decision over Dustin Jacoby feels like something that even, you know, against Marcin Prachnio, mm-hmm. not that not that long before, he couldn't win. And... It's just taking him a long time to get to a point where he can create his offense consistently. And if he's not getting hurt real bad, he can keep that up for multiple rounds. Mm -hmm. The problem is that there are just still huge gaps in what Khalil Roundtree does well. Mm -hmm. And one of his biggest new inventions, or I don't even know that it's that new, but it's hard to like. Roundtree is, we've talked a lot. I mean, I feel like he's more consistently has a style now than he used to. But for a while, he he was the every fight you get a new Khalil Roundtree. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to go do my my fight camp in a whole new different place. And I'm going to come in with a whole new game is what it used to feel like Khalil Roundtree would do a lot. And now it feels more like he's really fallen in love with this power Muay Thai Mm-hmm. style and a heavy clinch, heavy strikes, all that. And one of the new adjust, one of the big adjustments that he's thrown into his game is a hair trigger, right hook counter mm-hmm. that he just throws every time somebody throws at him, that, that right arm comes looping out. And 50% of the strikes he threw against Chris Dawkins. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he doesn't necessarily look at his opponent when he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Like it comes with this sort of like head tilt away while he's throwing, where he's kind of like ducking away from the strike that is already coming out because it's a counter. So there's something coming to hit him. And he's shying away from the blow while throwing the right hand. Yeah. And it emphasizes the fact that Khalil Roundtree's defense is kind of miserable. Yeah, and he still clearly does not like the idea of having to actually exchange with somebody. Yeah. So like he wants to be, and has pretty successfully been for the last several fights, is a 
a high-powered pot shotter. He wants to be yeah. like a sniper who just cracks you with something devastating from a safe distance. Yeah, like we and saw in the maintains a steady pace. Jacoby waited on him and made him come forward a lot. Yeah. And Roundtree was very uncomfortable every time he had to close distance yeah. and lead. And he would kind of, it, it, you know, maybe he didn't close his eyes, but sometimes it kind of looked like he did. Where I, he would I, just, I think he definitely did. I'm just uh, going off a of vague recollection of the Dawkus fight, but like I said, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, right same time right hook check hook counter action going on there. Yeah, and not all of them look like smooth, carefully targeted, <laughs> comfortable no. counters. They look um, tense. Yeah, and Anthony Smith can take advantage of that. Sure. Uh, he, one of the, you know, he, he has his own tendency to shy away from damage. But one of the long kind of hallmarks of Smith is his, even when he is shying away and seeming like he's getting overwhelmed, his ability to resolve himself Mm-hmm. And to go back to paying attention to his opponent and to start punishing them if they start getting wild. So you you see a lot of Anthony Smith fights where he will be getting hurt brutally bad and looking like he wants nothing more than to to get out of that fight. And then he'll just land some huge shot in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And start turning the tables. Or sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just goes back to getting hurt. You know, there, there's also the John Jones side of this where he, you know, he just could not stop shying away from John Jones. Yeah. But there are plenty of other, I mean, you know, you just have, you can go back to the latest Ryan Spawn fight where Ryan Spawn like absolutely destroyed. Uh, Anthony Smith for a round, mm-hmm. but Smith didn't get knocked out. He didn't ever get so hurt that he stopped paying attention to what Ryan Spawn was doing, and he started to rally. Yep. And when he starts started to rally, Ryan Spawn started to to really go away. Yeah. He he he's it's he's a pretty consistent rallier, I would say, Anthony yeah. Smith. It's really just people who. Um, either like neutralize him and that's yep. how they beat him. Um, in which case he will still usually try. Sometimes yeah. it works out. Some of his early, like crazy third round KOs when he first moved up to light heavyweight were of that nature. Uh, or it's somebody like you said, like John Jones, who is just, um, actually like building on him. Yeah. And putting him further and further out of the fight as it goes. But, uh, yeah, he's a pretty consistent, um, makes the effort to come back at the very least when things aren't going his way and is genuinely quite, you know, it's, it's not easy to get out of there. Like he's, no. he's just super tough and resilient, even when it looks like he's hating everything that's happening. Yeah. Like he's just, he's a master of bad body language. Absolutely. So that you, you, you know, you see something start to go wrong. You're like, oh man, that's it for Anthony yep. Smith. He is done, cooked, and then like 
Derek, Derek Lewis like in that way? Yeah. Then you'll be like three minutes later, you'll be like, is he is he back in this fight? It's weird to see somebody so tough and such a good comeback artist um, just sort of it's what I'm looking for. Like, Look totally overwhelmed. Not have a poker face. Yeah, yeah. You expect those guys to have a poker face as a rule. That's really why I make the Derek Lewis comparison. It's like, oh, he's hating this. <laughs> he's yeah. miserable. He's holding his belly. He's wincing every time he steps on that leg that's gotten kicked. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, don't let him see you struggle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he sticks around. He just doesn't damn- go away. Oh out of there you know you expect more of yeah. the dancer kind of thing exactly. out there exactly like, Dan Hooker, just, like a, he's a he, you can wail on him a lot and it still just seems like game face he, yeah he's okay with it and he's he's not trying to be you know he's trying to show you he's not hurt and he will rally back yeah he's not anthony smith isn't like billy quarantello out there no he's not a all of this is part of the plan kind of guy when he's struggling early or midway through a fight, but he's tough. Yeah. And he's going to use his jab against a Southpaw. One thing to recommend him. He does not have a reach advantage. In fact, he has a half an inch less wingspan, but he's three inches taller mm-hmm. and fights really long. Yeah. Um, but I also think he is going to struggle with Khalil's low kicks. Yeah, and the so the the worry here then would be that Johnny Walker fight. Exactly. Because Johnny Walker is a meltdown artist. Yep. He is I mean even to the point of that, you know, that terrible fight he just had with Magomed Ankalaev yep. where like he will be his own worst enemy, you know. Yep. He will find ways to make a loss happen. And Anthony Smith could not. Well, not a loss necessarily, but. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but he will also make losses happen. He yeah. will also make losses happen. And Anthony Smith could not get past square one with Walker, really. Yep, because Walker just stayed at range and kicked. So. Sounds like what Khalil's going to do, if I'm honest. Right? Well. That's the thing, though, is that, like, if Anthony Smith is patient, will Roundtree stay patient as well, or will he That's a good point. feel the need to blitz in? That's a good point. Because if he gets wild and blitzes in, you know, if Anthony Smith can get him down, that's the, one of the other big holes in Roundtree's game, is that he tends to just fall apart on the mat. You know? Mm-hmm. So if Anthony Smith's patience lures Roundtree to try and brawl with Smith and he can't knock Smith out, that could lead to exactly the kind of opportunities that let Smith turn a fight around and start winning it. That's true. And, but if he doesn't, if he just stays patient and he just pot shots Smith, it seems very likely, it seems very reasonable that Roundtree has the kind of power to put Smith away. The kicks are going to be there too. Like, just, yeah. and he's a 
harder kicker, I think, than Johnny Walker. Roundtree is a really yeah. hard kicker. Yes. Um, but I don't know how to pick. Like I, I'm feeling very split on this. Just who will also, and I look forward to this. I hope it happens. If he happens to knock Anthony Smith down, whether it's with a low kick or something else, Roundtree finish him. Not just that, Roundtree has become a soccer kick to the body specialist. Yeah. Which is one of the coolest things to do. <laughs> he will absolutely just lay his shin across Anthony Smith's organs uh, as he struggles to get back to his feet. Yeah, That's I think his I'm favorite gonna, move. I think I'm gonna pick Roundtree. I think Yeah. The idea of Anthony Smith comeback artist. I don't just don't like the way that stacks up against Khalil Roundtree. Yeah. I think Roundtree is no longer a guy you come back against. Yeah, That's, because most of the damage he's doing, if he's not just concussing you, is is really breaking you down as the fight goes on. Yeah. And guys like Ryan Spann, Jimmy Crute, Devin Clark, that Anthony Smith has been beating lately. They are fighters more primed to come back against right now than Khalil Roundtree. They, they, they are, are they're all yacked up, swinging for the head, like making mistakes. Yeah, they are all more wild, less composed strikers. One thing I will say, I'm going to pick Roundtree as well. I just feel like the way that Smith completely failed to deal with a really laid back performance from Johnny Walker. Yeah, it was, it was defensive. I don't know what to do with myself. Walker plus low kicks. Yeah. The fact that he just ate tons and tons of low kicks, ate so many that he started hallucinating um, that Johnny Walker was insulting his wife or something. Yeah. Uh, like that, that is like, that really tells you what happens when you just don't give Anthony Smith like enough to, to rage against. Mm-hmm. Is that he's like he tried? You saw him trying to manufacture a comeback, some kind yeah. of motivation that just wasn't there, and he just didn't. It didn't happen because no. <laughs> it was fake. You know, it just didn't happen. He just kept getting his leg kicked. One thing I will say though, another weakness of Kilo Roundtree's, which I assume is still there, if Anthony Smith catches a kick and takes him down, that's yeah. Anthony Smith could totally beat up or submit Khalil Roundtree on the floor. No, yeah, that's what I, I, I mentioned earlier, too. Like, if if, Round, if he catches a kick and takes him down, or if Roundtree just rushes in and goes for that high-pressure clinch that he went for against yeah. uh, against Dowkhouse or Jacoby, I think it was, in their fight, Uh Smith, he's not a great wrestler, but he's a better wrestler than Roundtree is. Yeah, he's a better wrestler than Dustin Jacoby. He's a better wrestler than Dustin Jacoby. And if he gets on top of Roundtree, that uh, Roundtree's fight against Iwan Kudalaba comes to mind. And that was just like an instant meltdown from Roundtree. Who was the last guy... Honestly, was the last guy Khalil Roundtree fought who really even wanted to wrestle him? Yeah. Uh, who was also marginally good at it? Yeah. Which I think describes Anthony Smith. Like, uh, really, 
Roundtree statistically his takedown defense is bad. It's fifty six percent according to UFC stats. Yeah. And one thing you will notice looking through his last several fights is that people just aren't. I mean, Dustin Jacoby is credited with three. But um, Jacoby. That's Dustin Jacoby, professional kickboxer. And yeah. they weren't they weren't even the most committed attempts. They were more like, let's neutralize you for a moment and reset. And, Roberson uh, does wrestle, but he didn't in that fight at all. He didn't in that fight. Yeah, nobody's trying to wrestle him. Yeah. The one thing that we know is historically a huge weakness for Roundtree has simply not been tested much by recent opponents. And that's a big that's a big feather in in Anthony Smith's cap, but I just think he's gonna get hurt first. Yep. And right now, I don't feel like the comeback. I, I want to bet on the Anthony Smith comeback. It could it, the the room for it is right there. Yeah. I well, just, and I think he's really the idea that we're both guessing that he might catch a kick to get the takedown already supposes that he is just gonna be standing at range getting kicked. Yeah. You know, like, it's just hard to pick him. It is. Expecting that kind of fight. Odds uh, on the fight. Smith is a slight underdog on the books carrying carrying it. Opened at uh, plus one. Let's see. Oh, the jazz line. Opened at plus 200. He's currently at about plus 190. And Roundtree opened at minus 251. It's currently about minus 230. So, yeah, I think the odds should be getting closer and staying close. Mm -hmm. It's a violent fight that seems incredibly likely that it will end inside the distance. Um, Just because both men are so kill or be killed. Uh, and I And I think... Even Smith is tough enough to he's seen a lot of decisions. I should say mm -hmm. he's not he he is tougher than it seems like, but Roundtree is such a violent finisher that if Smith is on his way to losing this fight, I don't feel like Roundtree is gonna let him see the bell. No. And if Roundtree is on his way to losing this fight, then I do not at all trust him to make it to a decision. Nope. I think he, he tends to implode. Yeah. So, picking Roundtree, but mostly picking violence. It's light heavyweight, folks. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a late notice bantamweight fight. Originally a flyweight bout between Sumu Darji and uh, Alan Nascimento. Now a bantamweight bout between Sumu Darji and Tim Elliott. And who is also a flyweight, but they're yeah, yeah, they're making it bantamweight because he just accepted this like this week, right? Yeah, it was like two days ago. Yeah. And uh, this is a fight where like. We would both be picking Tim Elliott pretty easily if he, he had a full camp, right? Yeah, I think so. That's really the question. Is, is, is he in shape enough? Kasumadarji got hit with some well-timed takedowns and pretty soundly outgrappled by Matt Schnell. Mm -hmm. And Tim Elliott is capable of putting the kind of pressure on him that Schnell did in that fight. 
which Sumidar doesn't mind that. He likes yeah. to counterpunch. But uh, Tim Elliott, more durable and more of a wrestling threat. Um, also, just like, you know, I was going to say less psychotic, but just psychotic in a different, more manageable way than Matt Schnell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tim Elliott is psychotically, like, determined, but is not just going to uh, necessarily demand that the opponent drop him 30 times in a row. Um, so, yeah, I think I would pretty happily pick Tim Elliott. And I, I I think I may very well still pick him, but but that it, this is made more difficult. Absolutely, because Sumu Darji is, I mean, it has to be noted with that fight with Matt Schnell, he ended up losing by submission. Yep. But the path to getting submitted. Yep, was destroying Matt Schnell. And it was also really ha- like scrambling with him pretty well. He did actually, lot. yeah. First time you know? he got uh, taken down, he had his back taken, and he actually like got two on one, controlled an arm, and managed to spend a lot of uh, the first round of that fight in top position. And so, here's yeah. a quick here's a quick question for you. Huh? When's the last time Tim Elliott submitted somebody in the UFC? Oh. Feels now, like it's happened pretty regularly. I'm a pretty good but... test taker, Zane, so I'm going to go ahead and clue you in. Yeah. The fact that you asked the question suggests that the answer is quite a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, this is, okay, good, good. This is my teacher's pet instincts kicking in here. I'm going to say 2018. 17. Ooh, I was pretty close. Mark De La Rosa. Okay. And he's had a lot of performances where he's out-wrestled people in the time yeah. since then without submitting them. But Tim Elliott is part of Tim Elliott's legacy prior to his time with uh, James Krause was as a fighter who starts hot yes. the rare flyweight that gas and gas is hard yeah he would do just dump all his energy a lot of it was this just like high out high energy moving high energy bouncing around that he would do yeah. even if he wasn't wrestling by the, the second round he would be flat-footed and his scrambling grappling game would slowly get less and less uh functional yep and uh he's gotten a lot better about that lately but he's taking this fight on like three days notice yeah if he's not in perfect fight shape that might be a problem again if he's not in perfect fight shape and he's not going to submit sumudarji who like I say, Elliot doesn't actually get all that many submissions. He's he's so over eager to attack that he lets a lot of things go. Yeah. If he doesn't submit Sumudarji and Sumudarji can just hang with him for a round, that that's that's a real question. You know? Mm-hmm. Sumu Darji won't let he won't let his foot off the gas when it comes to pouring out extra offense as the fight goes on. 
It's true. Um, I'm going to say it has actually been a while since Tim Elliott gassed, though. Yeah, but it's also... Quite a while, in fact, right? I mean... Yeah, it is probably... Was it like maybe... Might have been might have been pre Mark De La Rosa. <laughs> might have been pre Mark De La Rosa. You know? Yeah. Might have been like Ben Wen. No, well that was Demetrius Johnson. You might know? Have been Demetrius Johnson. Or it's, it's been quite see. a while. I think what we've seen from Tim Elliott is that he's seriously benefited from all the experience. That he just stays really very calm and is just a lot more comfortable and less tense. And uh part and parcel with that. It's just a, he is a lot more efficient these days than he used to be. Yeah, I, say, just, I mean, like it, Angela Hill, he's basically gone through the same kind of transformation. He's just smaller steps. A lot more of his output is jabs, essentially jabs off of both hands. He likes to do a lot. He just sort of shifts back and forth and pulls mm-hmm. and prods and tries to uh, uh, keep a threat on you without actually having to dump a bunch of energy out there. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a worthy point, but I think the days of gassing Tim Elliott might be in the past. I hope so. It's, it's just tough because this is such so short notice. If it weren't short, short notice, notice, I wouldn't yeah. even be raising the idea. Yeah, right, right. I'm just bringing it up as a guy who used to have this problem and is now fighting on a few days notice. It is also short notice without having to cut weight. We know Tim Elliott yeah, has struggled true. with the weight cut before. Um, I suppose he's probably going to feel very comfortable at, at uh, 135, a lot closer to his walk-around weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the guess that most of Tim Elliott's tendency to gas was based on discomfort and yeah. inexperience, and that he... Uh, has has largely solved that just by getting the miles in, basically. And um, if I suppose that, then, you know, it's still not like a super easy, like Sumadarji is not bad. Yeah. You know, the guy not. is a pretty sharp and pretty dangerous counterpuncher. His biggest, probably his biggest problem is really just that he is so willing to take on every engagement that he yeah. fights himself into trouble. Yeah. Whether it's just eating shots because, you know, he's not that great defensively and he always wants to be there still engaging. Or if it's just that he's, you know, like with Matt Schnell, he's willing to scramble through on the ground and keep staying in there and keep going yep. after somebody. Yep. And while, uh, you know, it, it has been a minute since Tim Elliott submitted anyone, Sumadarji has been submitted five times. Oh, yeah, it's how he loses. In fact, every single one of his losses. Because he just doesn't, he, doesn't he always disengage. wants to keep fighting through something. He doesn't disengage, yeah. So I'm going to take Tim Elliott for uh, pressure, grappling advantage, experience. Um. And, I, and I'm guessing that he, um, perhaps especially because of the uh, non-weight cut, is just going to be durable enough to not get dropped by Sumidarji. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty helpful if you're trying to pressure him. 
I guess I will too, because I'm going to assume that Elliot is taking this fight on short notice because he's in reasonably good shape to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that his base style doesn't need any adjusting to beat Sumu Darji. Exactly. Yeah. And he just had his, him and he may still have just been just kept in shape from his last fight. Cause it, it's not like he took a lot of damage. Yeah. He was the one dishing out the vast majority of damage against Mikhaev. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with you too, but I, I do, you know, I do think the short notice is a real question here because yeah. Darcy is for as much as there are, is just an obvious gap in his wrestling and his grappling defensively for both of them. He's just not an easy fighter to beat. No, you know, and yeah. Elliot is taking a risk here. I really like watching Sumidarji fight, to be honest. Yeah. He has quietly become a a little dark horse favorite of mine. He's got yeah, a cool yeah. style. We, we were talking. Uh, oh, what was it? what fight was it that I was? Let's see. I was just watching. We were just watching the last. Or I was just watching the last UFC card, the Darius Saryukin card. Mm-hmm. And talking Kelvin Gastelum mm-hmm. and how no 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 it it was it was Punaheli Soriano that's who it was mm-hmm. and that terrible loss he took and how we presaged our pick with of Soriano like there's something really wrong with him if he loses this fight yeah and one of the things that was really just bugging me watching him in that fight and I think we we may have talked touched on it as well I don't remember now is that Soriano, every time he does something, he disengages and resets. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so he keeps all of his exchanges 50-50 every single time. It's always just like, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to reset, and then we're both going to step back in, and you'll you'll have a chance, and I'll have a chance. And guess what I'm going to try? Yeah. It's going to be the left hand. It'll be the left hand. <laughs> and... I mean, one of the things I like about Sumu Darshi is he doesn't reset. No. Nope. You know, he's not a fighter going back and like, oh, I landed a couple shots. Okay, I'm going to take a couple steps back and try to figure this out again. Yeah. And he is not a flashy fighter, but he is not a one-handed, one-note um, no. counterpuncher either. Yeah, he's yeah. he's pretty technical boxer yep. by uh, by MMA standards, so. And I, I always love the, the fighters that are willing to stand in and take the risks, even if 100%, they lose. 100%. Odds on the fight. Elliot is the favorite. You're not alone. We're not alone. Opened at minus 176. is currently minus 145. Uh, Sumudarji opened at plus 157. Currently, open at, or currently at plus 130. I mean, I think, yeah, with Elliot as the favorite on this short notice, I'm not surprised gamblers are throwing their money on Sumudarji. Yep. But, I mean, like, like you said, if this wasn't short notice, we'd all be picking Elliot. We'd pick Tim Elliott just out of hand. Like, yeah. No question. So. I think usually that's the way to go, even when there are there is like some X factor thrown in. If there's yeah. one guy who's just an obvious pick, all things being equal, just probably it's, take him. It, it's the uh, Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich yeah. thing, where you you know we make our pick, and then you hear Tom Aspinall talking about this and being like, "I was injured and sick. I basically didn't have a camp at all for this fight. 
I'm just flying out and taking it to see what happens. I'm like, well, I'm still taking Tom Aspinall. Yep. And he goes out there and he wins. Yep. Sometimes the matchup is just the matchup. Tim Elliott just doesn't really lose to dudes like Sumidarji. Yeah. Never really has. Probably the closest to the kind of performance Sumidarji could win was Askar Askarov. Yeah. Who had the advantage of being impossible to out-wrestle. Yeah. Sumidarji does or, not or have Matt that. Or Nikolau, too. Or Nikolau. Both, both excellent wrestlers. Yep. So... Sumidarji does not have that advantage. He really doesn't. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Nazrat Hakparast, Jamie Malarkey, and uh, is it time to be mad at Nazrat Hakparast again? I've been mad at him for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it like he's back fighting, so I feel like I have to be mad at him again? Well, I guess I'm not having been mad at him. I've given up. Yeah. Really, I've I've written Nasrat Hakparast off, which is not to say that he's not still clearly a good fighter. Yeah, but he's just he's not he's Kelvin Gastelum. Like he, I know it's an really, obvious joke to make because he looks like him, but like he's just all, not never yeah. improved. All the DNA is just it is yep. the, the the Kelvin Gastelum clone farm. Yep, that threw up Nasrat Hakparast. Yeah, I mean, the thing that really aggravates me about this fight and the why I'm mad again is that Landon Canones fight mm-hmm. for Hawk Barast, where he actually showed some really decent, nuanced boxing. Mm-hmm. And it was entirely because his front leg got kicked apart so badly yep. that he had to fight Southpaw and had to... Or is he an always Southpaw with Orthodox? He's he's Southpaw usually, yeah. Okay, so that he had to fight Orthodox rather. Yeah. And by fighting Orthodox, had to vary his boxing attack to account for yeah his new stance. Does that just sort of does that just sort of put the point on the idea that Nazar Hogprost is a classic fighter who has been held back by being naturally very good at fighting? Yes. That being a really good athlete with excellent timing and great speed and huge power and a phenomenal chin, all of these factors have just um, made it so that he, like Kelvin Gastelum, he's just like he spent his entire career uh, resting on his laurels. Yeah. And put into a situation even over the course of one fight when he has to adjust he has the capability of like fighting smart and coming up with good ideas. But if he doesn't feel like he has to adjust, he simply won't. The worst part of that fight, <laughs> that really is just my hands are claws right now. I'm just so, ah, was it every now and then he would go back to Southpaw to mm. try and, you know, favor his, his power hand and get back to his comfort zone because he was not comfortable fighting Orthodox. It did not look natural. It did not look uh, like his feet were all that well under him. Yeah. And every time he would go back to Southpaw, he would stop doing all of the things that were working <laughs> and would just lean on throwing one twos left hands yep. and getting picked off 
until he had to go back to Orthodox and he would immediately start winning again because he would have to start working. He, he would start, have to start working his lead hand like it was his like it was his functional tool. Yep. And so he would jab the body and throw like a, a counter hook and, you know, treat his rear hand like a a pace change yep. to a nuanced lead hand rather than just treating it like the whole solution to the fight. I mean, shit, maybe that would be honestly, if I was like Nasrat's coach. I might be like, we're making a mid-career change to being a converted Southpaw. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe that would help. It's like, just make, make it. So it's like, no, here's a rule. Like you don't get to fight Southpaw anymore. Yeah. You're an Orthodox fighter now. And just like completely resetting him and putting him in a style in which he is a little fundamentally uncomfortable would probably yield good results. Like, I think that, like I said, I think that's the thing he's been missing most of his career is that like shit is too easy for him. Yeah. And so he just hasn't, he hasn't had to stretch himself to get better. I might do that if I was his coach. No, son, you're, you're a righty now. Yeah. Use that left hand as a jab. And so on the flip side, you got Jamie Malarkey, who is just, you know, he's, he's, he's in the catch 22 territory. Yeah. Where he has current clearly, he's clearly thoughtful enough and talented enough everywhere that he's a hard fighter to beat, Mm -hmm. but he's not, uh, durable enough or athletic enough yeah or technical enough anywhere either to survive regularly just by being crafty yeah so he kind of has to do everything to win all of his game has to be working to win and it can all fall apart at any time You know? Yeah. And most of the people who tend to beat Malarkey are simply power punchers. Yeah. So it looks like one where Nazar Hawkbrust can show nothing impressive or good other than his innate qualities and still win. Yeah. That's my feeling. <laughs> That's why I started this out with this time to be mad at Nazar Hawkbrust yeah. again. Yep. Because it's just. Hey, let me tell you what. He may be a puncher like all the other guys who have beaten Malarkey, but he will find a way to make the fight hard on himself. Oh yeah, he will. He absolutely will. Like he might have the obvious edge, but it's not. And I'm going to pick him confidently, but it is not going to be easy for Hawkburst. No, because Malarkey will take a tough fight to him. Sure, and he'll take it everywhere. And Hawkburst is going to get really predictable, like provided he doesn't just KO Malarkey in the first two minutes. He is just going to get sucked into this quagmire of, um, yeah, going for the same one-two again and again and again. Uh, It's totally going to get way messier than it needs to be, even though he feels like an obvious pick. Yep. (sighs) Right. It's not a hot (laughs) brust. 
you know, there is still a possibility, you know, I know he's taking a lot of punishment, but he's, you know, he's only 28. Like, yeah, it, good athlete. Could be, it yeah. can click at any time. It can. This man might hit 31 years old and be like, wait a minute, I can fight however I want. And I would just becomes love a for that fight against Landon Canones to have been a teaching moment. He's had plenty of opportunities already, and none of them have sunk in yet. Yeah, it was just watching him fight with like half his balance and half of his power available to him. It was just like, oh, you're boxing this dude up. He cannot compete with you at all. Yeah, and then I mean, he, he, he go on, sorry. And then you'd go back to his typical southpaw stance, and suddenly it would just be like. Okay, you can't, you're not, you're barely surviving against this guy. Yep. I mean, he had a similar um, mid-fight uh, adjustment against uh, uh, Rafa Garcia. Yeah. Took a really hard fight to him, and he had to put, you know, like, he, he took a hard fight to him, but in a range where Hawk Bros could deal with him, unlike, like, Bobby Green. Mm-hmm. And, and in that circumstance, too, Hawk Prost ultimately came up with some nice combination ideas and started going to the body and you know but nothing sinks in it never like affects the way that he begins a fight it never helps him to avoid the point midway through where he has gotten incredibly repetitive and and the opponent has started to figure him out he only adjusts when he needs to that is the thing yep but he does do it he does, yeah. It's just too late. It's usually, yeah, and it, it just because it's always a matter of must. Yeah. And never in a, a matter of, well, let's, you know, let's try this instead. Let's see what happens if I experiment a little and make yeah, something I happen. mean, that is, that is something that he has that uh, his uh, doppelganger, Kelvin, does not. Yeah. Kelvin Gaslam can't adjust to save his life. No, he can't. He, he comes can... in with an attitude of how he's going to approach a fight. And if that if that attitude works right, yeah, then man, he can put on a hell of a show. And if it doesn't work right, he's just stuck. Hawk Prost is at least capable of winning a comeback in his life. Like Kelvin Gaslam yeah. has never and will never win a comeback. Yeah. But um it just makes it more frustrating that you do often get to see for like maybe just one round glimpses of the fighter. It seems not as hard. Hawk Prost could be never soon enough. Never, soon enough. <laughs> never the first idea he has is to be the guy who, uh, who wins when the, when the chips are down, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't mean to be too harsh to him. Like these oh. sort of competitive cycles, like it, it, this is not a moral judgment. That I'm getting frustrated with him. It's not like, oh, you idiot. Why don't you like it's hard, you know, it is. I've been playing uh, blitz chess lately, Zane, a lot of blitz, a lot of five plus three. You know what that means? No, I don't. It means each player starts with five minutes and you have a three second increment with each move. Okay. Yeah. Speed chess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, And man, like last week. I shot up like 150 rating points. I hit a new rating peak. Um, I don't take it that seriously, which is why I've been playing it more than rapid because it's less pressure and I'm, I don't deal with pressure very well myself. And, uh, but then just the last like three days, it just tanked. It just lost all those rating points back. 
Yeah. You know, and I'm like, why am I not seeing things? Why do I keep just making stupid? I can't, you can't explain. This is why athletes go to sports psychologists. Like, yeah. What is wrong with me? Why am I, what are these patterns that I can't even recognize until I'm deep, deep in them? So it's not a moral judgment. I'm not no. accusing Nasr Hawkprost of having failed in some way. It's no. just that you do get to see his potential realized now and then. You yeah. know how good he could be. I'm sure it, it must be frustrating to him as well. Yeah. I'm sure. But I, I still hope, without attaching any um, like emotional weight to it for fear of being disappointed, but I still hope in a distant kind of way that someday Nasr Hawkprost will have a couple years at the end of his career of being a shockingly good veteran fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he could do it. He might turn that corner, but it's been a long time and he hasn't turned it yet. Yep. Odds on the bout opened at minus 200, currently minus 195. Hawk Perost, that is. Malarkey opened at plus 155, is currently at plus 173. God, what the, what the Joshua Kulabau's, Jamie Malarkey's, you know, uh, Malkoon's of the world would give to be Nazrod Hawkfrost. Exactly. Yeah. But if you they know. were Nazrod Hawkfrost, maybe they wouldn't be the crafty, clever fighters. They are. That's the that's true. Yeah. That's the conundrum. Marky. It's also, it's just, it's, it's extra sad because he's not durable either. Yeah. Almost every loss is a KO. Yeah. It's, you know, you look at somebody like Malkoon or Kulabau and you realize a lot of what gets them through fights is being rugged as well as being crafty. Yep. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout, final bout of the main card. Andre Mooney's John uh, John Young Park. I was uh, I was chided by uh, Phil McKenzie. Oh, for uh, that's fan. new. <laughs> He's normally so nice, just like you. Yeah. Uh, for for nice saying you tried to guilt me for saying that I liked this fight. Can you oh, imagine that what? he tr- he tried to guilt me, the guy who's the fucking CEO of the glue factory. <laughs> tried to guilt me. You back one horse suddenly. Racetrack. <laughs> uh, and and it's because. It is. Uh, it's kind of mean to Andre Muniz. This matchup. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> was like, "How dare you? What, what do I care?" Yeah, you I know? don't care. Jin Young Park in a fight against somebody who is it has turned out really not good at dealing with people who actually want to grapple him. Yeah. Um, against a guy who sort of out grapples everybody he goes to the ground with. I mean, Jin Young Park is just one of my. He he is core unflappably he's our boy the dude that i will root for no matter what 100 percent. Right. i look at this matchup like here's a guy with some name value who like but the plat the path is laid out yep it's well lit it's paved by this point yeah you know how to beat him yep so all that being said i'm picking jun young park I am too. I mean, I think honestly that there's there are there is some danger here. Sure, always is. I mean, first first and foremost, Mooney's his striking is ugly, but he is very much on an Alexia Linek train with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
these he's got these massive long arms. He's got a 78 inch reach. He has literally five inches of reach on Jun Young Park. Yep. He's got these massive elephant arms, and he just clubs people coming forward. Do elephants have arms, Zane? Giraffe arms is what I meant. But giraffes don't have arms. Kiko, <laughs> I keep trying. Let's pick an ape. Let's start there. Okay, he's got these massive gorilla arms. There we go. All right, there we go. I would have gone with orangutan personally, but I, you know, to each his own. Look, the, the orangutan. The orangutan is the old man of the forest. Like it's, it's too too peaceful for it's you. A, it's a gentleman ape. <laughs> okay. I thought about orangutan. Okay. There was, <laughs> there was a logic there. I just think they got really long arms. You know, I mean, that's what I would have. They that's do. Just, that's just me. That's just me. An orangutan is a beanbag chair with really long arms attached to it. <laughs> uh, a, a gorilla is more like, you know, a, a, a V12 engine with arms. Yeah. But uh, Mooney's, he's got these gorilla arms. Great. And he will just come forward swinging them at people. And Parks... His boxing game, one of the reasons I love him, is it is a, he's a stand in the pocket and try to pick and counter fighter. He wants to box, but he is a jab first, draw out the attack, and then counter striker. Which also means that he can be clubbed really hard by wild shots because he wants to he wants to probe with the jab and test draw something out and especially a dude with in range and he's not shy about staying there yeah no he like i say this is all part of why i love him is that like you look at that fight he had with uh albert durayev and jenny park just he pressured and stuck in the pocket and ate huge shots from Durayev for a round mm-hmm. until he forced Durayev to respect his jab. And it was only after Durayev started respecting his jab that Jung Young Park started going, started throwing his right hand to the head. Mm-hmm. And once Durayev started raising his arms, Park started digging to the body. And it's just, it is a clinical process breakdown of beating a guy up. But also there were shots that Park ate in that first round of that fight where you're like, you are getting clubbed. This is, that is a huge shot you just took. And it's not hard to, you know, to think back to that fight he had with Gregory Rodriguez that he lost. Or that fight he had with Eric Anders that was razor close. Or, or he just the scary moments shot. of his fight uh, with uh, Tafon and Chukwi. Yeah. When he was striking with him. It is to Park's credit uh, and and goes some way to explaining why he's so successful that uh, Gregory Rodriguez is still the only guy to ever knock him out. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the Iron Turtle thing. Yeah, like, he's tough. He is tough as hell. Uh, once again, Jamie Malarkey, I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, 
Andre, so there is this gap. Because the other thing with with Park, too, is his takedown defense is not that great. True. He's a good wrestler and a good scrambler and a great top control fighter. But he often starts all that from a losing position. He can be taken down and he will fight his way back to his feet. Mm-hmm. So there is a big opportunity here for Mooney's to club him, drag him to the mat, and take his back. It's just, it is in the universe. It is out there. Problem for Mooney's is if he doesn't finish Park within a round, it absolutely feels like Park is going to put the kind of fight on him that will yep. be terribly deleterious to Mooney's. 100%. So... I'm picking Jung Young Park, but the first half of the first round could just be all bad news for him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it could be, uh, well, th- this could be the, uh, what was the fight? The Uriah Hall, Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. You know, I not one that I have a strong memory of. Now, our Antonio Carlos Jr. basically just came out and absolutely stormed Uriah Hall for a ride. It was one of Uriah Hall's most like gutsy, really putting it together. As we talk about athletes who are athlete, yeah, athletes yeah, yeah. forever and never seem to put it together. It was one of the, the few like Uriah Hall got swarmed and then. Antonio Carlos Jr. started to fade and Hall turned it up and and beat ended up with a split decision. It was still a tough fight, but mm-hmm. it could be that kind of fight for Jung Young Park. What I'm saying. But Park is much more single minded and consistent than Uriah Hall ever was, even if he's not nearly as powerful. Yeah. Uh odds on the fight. Park is the favorite. Opened at minus 244, is currently at minus 168. Muniz opened at plus 185, currently plus 150. I love to see it because that means that, you know, even if people are, are picking Muniz with that submission pick, which I think, like I said, I think there's a real angle early in this fight to take that. Because you, you too, you have to remember that, like, Jun Young Park did also get. Uh, you know, first round or second round dart anaconda by Anthony Hernandez, who is more tireless. Oh, than nobody's more tireless than Mooney's Fluffy Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he has been submitted before. Yep, it can happen. So I, I can see. I, I'm not surprised to see the odds closing, but it does me good to see. Jung Young Park opening is a favorite here because it means that people are starting to get onto the idea that he might actually be a pretty good fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think looking at uh, Menezes' last two fights, like two just willing grapplers exposed him as having really quite bad takedown defense. I mean, really yeah. bad. Paul Craig took him down multiple times. Like, that should yeah. not happen. And also just, um, yeah, like being like a souped up version of uh, having a souped up version of Charles Oliveira's grappling insecurity. Mm-hmm. When somebody's just like, okay, I'll get on top of you. Cool. 
oh, you want to you want to do this? And then they just start trying to submit him. He just he hates it. Yeah. He, he's, 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 he's very willing to guard grapple as a BJJ guy, which is why yeah. he's not hard to take down. But he's also his guard game is not geared toward MMA. Yeah. How, that's how it feels. So it yeah. feels like a competitive jujitsu guard game where you see him like hit some nice sweeps and tricks and get things lined up where he can be aggressive, but also still in a place where he can take a lot of punishment. Yeah. And if he starts to take the punishment, the game starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And also when he has to work at the kind of work rate that MMA requires over competitive grappling, then he starts to gas too. Uh, all right, that wraps us up for the main card. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast over at uh, the Bloody Elbow Substack. And, uh, you know, join our Substack. Help us out. Do We're going to be back with a little bit of bonus content here in just a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.